This is War Room Moments, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and most relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. War Room Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Hey, welcome to the War Room today. Uh, Chuck, thank you for coming on the War Room today. Appreciate having you here today with us. I'm really happy to be here today, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, hey, I always love to start the show off with uh, a a small introduction. I hate introducing people because I'm not very good at it. (laughs) And I admit it that I'm not. So the the first... uh, like like they say, the, the first thing to solving a problem is admitting it to yourself that you have a problem, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what I like to do is let you introduce yourself briefly and what your superpower is. So, you know, our audience knows that right up front. Great. So, um, all right, sure. Uh, me, what can I say about me? Um, I'm a founder and CEO of a company called MCG Partners, which I founded 16 years ago. We're a leadership, talent, and organizational optimization firm, consulting firm. Um, uh, I've been in consulting most of my career and um, uh, done everything from strategy to change management, and then have been in the leadership and talent and organizational effectiveness space for the last 25 plus years. So it's a little about me. Yeah. Cool. Well, a lot of knowledge there for sure. That comes with, um, I bet you there was a lot of arrows on that in that time, right? <laughs> a few arrows, a, a few, a few, uh, uh, you know, my, 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 uh, my forehead's a little sore from all the walls I've ran into in my career. Yeah, I bet warheads on foreheads, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, you know, to kind of kick off your journey, you know, because your journey is where I want people to grab a lot of the lessons from. Um, And so I always like to kind of ask, you know, did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurship? Was that something that that you grew up with? Um, I did not. Um, okay. I, I grew up in a very humble environment. Both my parents were from Europe. I'm first generation American. Uh, my father unfortunately passed away in a car accident when I was two mm-hmm. and a half. And my younger sisters were a year and a half and six months old. Uh, my mother didn't have uh, any money, didn't speak English, didn't have a job. So that's kind of how we started off in the U.S. And uh, grew up outside of New York City. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough childhood. I'm not going to lie, you know, not only just financially, but just trying to figure out how to be an American. And I didn't start speaking English until I got to, to, to grammar school. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, growing up without a father and with a mother who was trying to make ends meet um, wasn't that easy, honestly. But, you know, I think um, there was something always inside me that, and it took a while, by the way, because I coasted through high school, coasted through college. I was smart. I got by, I did well, had friends, played sports was active, but I really was trying to figure out who I was and what my life was going to be about. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because, you know, I often say there's, 
some element of everybody's life that ended up driving them to entrepreneurship, right? Be it there was sports involved, it was the military, um, you know, the high performance things, those folks seem to really gravitate to the entrepreneurial world. And it kind of sounds like that's kind of part of the journey that you made there. And how, when did the bug get you? When did that happen? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, I think for all of us, and I think it's just a really important question. I do this with, with our clients and not only me, but my, my team, my, my organization. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding your journey, where you are in your journey is really critical. Uh, understanding what, what, are the, what are those experiences that have shaped and formed you? So for example, I remember in high school, I was forced to go to a private school, which I ended up paying for, by the way. That's all another story. But I failed one course. That's all it takes to get, to get thrown out. And I remember sitting down with the principal of the school and the dean of students, and they sat down with me and said, look, you've got all this potential. Um, you know, we think you're, you really have a great future. We want to give you another chance. And you got to go to summer school. You got to go, you got to get at least a B. And, um, and if you do, you, you're going to come back. We want you back. And uh, I kind of went away feeling sorry for myself. And I was frankly angry at the world and blaming everybody for all my problems. And all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute, I'm doing this to myself. You know, I, I'm causing this. I'm the one who failed. So I get angry at me. I started finally taking, and that was a sophomore, end of sophomore year in high school. I finally took, and that was a really, very really pivotal moment in my life where I finally took ownership for me and my results and my activity. And you're right. Sports was huge. Sports was my outlet. I, I found something that was, I could be competitive in, and I am a competitive person. And by the way, I do think that's critical to be an entrepreneur. You have to be competitive. You have to have a drive. You have to have ambition. You have to have discipline, um, not just ideas and passion. And uh, you have to have resilience. You need to have a work ethic. And uh, all those things sports helped me with. And I, and I found something I could excel in. But that moment in my, in my time in high school it became very, very pivotal for me in terms of realizing, wait a minute, I got to take ownership and responsibility for my results and my actions and my behaviors. Yeah, that's huge. You know, you hear, you know, ownership is the, it's a huge key in pretty much everything in our life, right? We hear ownership in business, but ownership in just our personal lives too, right? Whether it's with our kids and just learning to set the phone down and being present and all those kind of things. But yeah, but you know, I can't remember who it was, Jocko. I don't remember. He's a former Navy SEAL. He wrote the book Extreme Ownership, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but his story is extremely powerful in how he accepted ownership of that situation. And there was no repercussion for him because he did. He didn't put it on other people, right? And I think that's a huge key to the success of businesses. Just because we sit up here on this pedestal as CEOs, we're still need to hold ourselves accountable to our teams. Just like, you know, uh, that we should be held accountable to them and vice versa. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Uh, a huge, huge part. And I don't mean that in a woo woo way, you know, or a mamby pamby way. I'm just saying that, you know, we all need somebody sometimes to take a baseball bat to our forehead too, right? So, <laughs> well, we have to be receptive just because we've yeah. got the top of CEO. And I was a CEO of a global firm before I started this firm. 
Mm-hmm. And if you're not open and receptive to feedback and input, if you're not willing to have people tell you exactly the way it is and hit you between the eyes, you're not going to be successful. You got to be humble enough to be able to say, you know, what what's the feedback? What do I need? And I remember, and I have this in my book, and I mentioned I wrote a book, but I wrote a leadership book called The Rise of the Agile Leader. Can you make the shift? And one of the things I talk about in the book is having this feedback mechanism through a 360 assessment, a written assessment where people gave me feedback. And I was running a global practice. This is before I became the global CEO. And it was some really tough stuff. And of course, my first reaction was, hey, you know, screw all these people because look at all my great results, and which I did. I had the largest, most profitable, most successful practice in the company. And my CEO, who's a great mentor, by, by the way, laughed and said, I kind of had a feeling you were going to say that. And he goes, look, you're always going to be successful. You care about people. You're smart. You're hardworking. You get results. But if you want to be a CEO one day uh, or, or, or whatever else you want to do in your career, you don't understand the leadership part of your job, not just the management part of your job. And that really resonated. And that became a very, again, another big moment in my career. And there's, I mean, I got, I got tons of moments I can reflect on in my life and my career that really were pivotal. And that's the key thing. I mean, you have to take the time. We're always running so hard, Jason, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're striving to be an entrepreneur, or you're an executive, or you're, you're, you want to you continue to move up the chain in your career. But you got to pause and reflect. Are you, are you learning those lessons? Do you have mentorship? You know, don't try to do it alone. I know so many people that just, and I was one of them, by the way, um, <laughs> just try to do it on your own. And yeah, you can get far. You're smart and hardworking and you learn and you can pivot. But have people around you that can give you some honest, good feedback. Doesn't mean that you always have to listen to them, but you need, you need feedback. You need to get feedback about how, how you're working with your people, how you're working in the marketplace, what success is, all those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. One of the sayings I absolutely, and I mean, like you said, we're all guilty of it, right? But but I don't believe that any business owner should ever have to live on an island. If you're on an island, it's because you want to be there by yourself, right? So, you know, whether that's ego or, you know, the list of a hundred other things, right? That that could be, but nobody has to live on an island. That just means that you want to be on an island and and you want to just have that mentality of it's all mine, right? <laughs> it's my baby, right? The the my baby and I birthed it theory, right? <laughs> and only I know best, you know, those kind of things. And I don't know, I think we've learned a lot of lessons in the last three years when it comes to how that agile adaptability better be working in your company <laughs> otherwise you know and and being able to deal with people that because that market shifted right it became an employee's market not an employer's market yeah and but that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of talent people complained about oh nobody wants to work no there's a lot of people that want to work it's probably Absolutely. mostly just you. <laughs> it's you. And if you create the right work environment and you mm-hmm. treat people the right way. I mean, it doesn't, right. it's, it really comes down to that. We, I mean, we do a lot of work around culture and leadership effectiveness, obviously, based upon what I told you. But I got to tell you, I don't care what industry you're in, how big or small you are, how many employees you have. It all comes down to how you treat your people um, and what kind of work environment you've created. And if you're not mm-hmm. focused on those two things, it's really one of your Number one competitive advantage, you're not going to retain talent, you're not going to develop your talent, and you're not going to be able to be successful as a business. You're just not. 
right. you know, for an individual contributor. So that's that. That to me is the the if you want the key thing that people need to focus on, it's those two things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, I listen to people grumble and complain and. You know, oh my God, these millennials, the millennials are in their forties and they're working and they have kids. Can we please stop? Right? I mean, <laughs> oh, well, then it's the, you know, the, the Gen Zers, you know, they just don't right. want to do anything. Well, I got two Gen Zers and they're both productive. They're both productive humans in society. So um, with every generation, there's some dirt bags, right? Let's not, Absolutely. let's not let's not bring the whole, right? There are, there are some, to your point, there's some very competent of every generation and I've got mm-hmm. kids myself, right? So yeah. um, it, it, it comes down to, you know, let's not stereotype and, and, and tag people. Let's, let's evaluate them and assess them and we give them opportunities individually. Yes. Yeah. You know, people of the new generation have a different mindset and different skills and different areas of abilities and focus and expectations. Okay. Well, you know, as an organization, you got to adjust. And yes, you use the word agile. We've got to be able to be flexible and pivot. Mm-hmm. And the world's changing constantly. And, uh, you know, we talked about before the podcast, if you don't keep up with the times, whether it's how you leverage social media or frankly, how the environment you create for all your generations of employees, you're not keeping up with the times. So you have to constantly be focused on that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, the work, work life balance thing, which I'm not even sure is actually a thing um, (laughs) completely, but it's like getting that perfect. Just be happy if you get halfway there. Right. And if you're halfway there, right. Cause uh, I can't remember who, who said it, but uh um anyway it doesn't matter but but with all things in life we have overhead right so you know if you're a supreme court justice there's probably parts of being a supreme court justice you don't like right nothing's ever going to be perfect and i think a lot of people strive for this like perfection model and things like that and it's not going to happen right let's get to the 50 percent and be happy with the 50% because like the president, you're never going to make everybody happy. Right? So yes. it's, imp- it's impossible. Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's no, no, don't always seek perfection. It's also level of tolerance. You know, we, mm. we have to make sure we have a level, not just empathy, but tolerance of, of opinions, ideas, suggestions, failure. Right. I mean, you know, getting comfortable with failure. I mean, you know, as you know, uh, no one gets it right the first time. It's rare. And uh, yeah. people have to learn how to fail and people have to learn how to, you know, overcome that. People have to learn how to have healthy conflict. Um, you know, things don't happen in a, in a Gumbaya environment, right? You have to be able to have healthy discussions and healthy disagreements and healthy debate. And I use the word healthy because yes, it can be unhealthy, but it has to be tolerance and respect and trust to be able to have all those kind of things. And again, whether it's, Two people, a team, an organization. Um, those are some really key characteristics in, in of, of people and of organizations to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. The the stand on your death desk methodology is definitely that may have been a thing of the past, right? Right. Um, like my neighbor, he's 80, 
right? And he was a Fortune 50 CEO and all all that stuff, right? And he, on his desk for his entire career, was a little plaque. He still has it. He's reminded me several times that uh, it says, you're entitled to your wrong opinion, right? So it's like... That worked back then, 30 years ago, but that's not the culture we're in today. And you you just can't, you can't have that mentality today. And, you know, because, and there again, why would you anyway? I mean, I spent 23 years in the military and, but that was different. There was lives on the line. So it was a little different story. There's nothing we're doing in our business today where somebody's going to die. <laughs> so. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> what, I, what I would say that to though, is if you want to be innovative and innovative means everything. And that doesn't just mm-hmm. mean new products and services. It means how we service our clients, how we operationalize things, how we execute, how we manufacture, how we make decisions, how we have meetings, right? So innovation is in every aspect of how we work. But to have really great innovation, you have to challenge the status quo. You have to be able to say why or why not. Uh, you have to have courageous dialogue. You have to be able to get uncomfortable and, and step out of your comfort zone. So um, it, it's a contrast in some of the complexities we're dealing with society today. But you, I don't care what your business is, what your industry is, you have to have innovation to be able to survive and be successful and to continue to grow and evolve. And, and, and those characteristics to me are critical and you have to create an environment where people feel comfortable that they can do that. Yeah, for sure. I, I always, you hear people say a lot of times, well, you got to live out on the leading edge. Well, I, there's a step farther and that's the bleeding edge. <laughs> and, and the bleeding edge is where innovation happens in my opinion. You know? Now, you don't want to live there, <laughs> but, <No. laughs> but, but you got to visit it often. That's kind of my, my philosophy behind it. Otherwise you're not staying up with the times and you're not innovating. And like you said, innovation, isn't just products and services, it's people, you know, and that's also empowering people to, or otherwise, why the hell did you hire them? Right. So <laughs> what's the point? If you can't empower people to do things and you're always stepping in there all the time and stepping on people, well, then just fire everybody and do it yourself. (laughs) So, So I don't know. I've seen it in a lot of the companies we consult in and, you know, it, I, I wouldn't, it's not everywhere, obviously, but, but it is in the, you know, the younger founders are a lot calmer, right? Like the younger founders that I do Boulder startup here every year. Right. And most of those founders are, you know, everybody wants to be the next Elon Musk in tech, right? So, um, but most of them are between, I would say 25, 26 and 30. And they're very calm all the time, like get a rise out of them is almost impossible. Right. So, <laughs> cause I've tried, I've been doing this thing for five years and it's like, I'm going to get a rise out of one of these guys eventually. Right. And, but they're just a lot calmer. And I guess that's a, you know, individual thing, but, 
But that's one thing I've learned about the younger founders is they seem to have a little better grasp on, you know, not getting so excitable and riled up. Like maybe I would back then when I was starting, right? A a lot of things were emergencies and they really weren't emergencies. They weren't a crisis, Um, but we looked at them that way. They don't seem to see things from that viewpoint as much which I think is a great thing. Yeah, I do. It's interesting. I, I don't disagree with some of that characteristic. Um, you know, it, it's not completely everyone that's, uh, that's yeah, a new or young entrepreneur today, but, um, you know, they grew up in a different world, just like uh, in multi- our generations grew up in and uh, different generations have. So <laughs> um, I'm sure they get, they get a rise. They just, they, they mask it pretty well. they're they're, they're probably not to wear their emotions on their sleeve like you and i do jason or at least i know i've gotten older i've definitely mellowed out over the years my kids remind me on a constant basis by the way Uh, (laughs) i wish i had some of those qualities when i was younger i would have avoided a lot of headbutting yeah uh, and headache right for sure well it's interesting your your background and where you come from and how you grew up in in life and so so on and so forth, how that's gotten you here. And um, if you were listening carefully to this conversation, you should have picked up a lot of key things in there um, from Chuck that can really help you miss a lot of those arrows. But for our hard heads in the audience that didn't catch it, <laughs> You know, let's frame out just a few things, Chuck, that you think are really, really important messages to throw across today um, in today's time to the audience. Yeah, there's, I always say a couple of things. I mean, and there's a debate about how much passion that you have for something is how important that is. I still think it's important. There are a lot of people, especially business school professors out there that say passion's great, but you have to be really great at something. And I don't disagree with that either. So I think you got to find something that you're really great at, um, mm-hmm. that you just naturally have a talent or affinity towards. Actually, I didn't even answer my superpower in the beginning of our, our show today. But my superpower, honestly, is assessing and understanding a person or a situation very, very quickly and being mm-hmm. able to help address and solve that, that need or that problem. That's kind of my superpower. And, and that translates into what I do for a living, by the way. So I think that passion but also the fact that you're really, really good at something, have a talent and capability is also really, really critical. And then you've got to be able to really roll up your sleeves, learn, be in that level of determination, that resilience, that grit that we probably all hear about, you know, spend some time, learn, you know, understand best practices. Don't make the same mistakes that people made before, you know, really learn the sector you're in, understand your competition, understand the industry, understand what success is. Find people who built businesses before. Don't do it all on your own. Th- those, to me, are really some of the critical, you know, capabilities. Yeah, yeah, all good ones for sure. And you know, t- to me, it always goes back to that that on an island conversation. I keep hearing that. That's like seems to be the buzzword right now. Is don't live on an island as a CEO. It's like. Well, if you're on the island, you're on it by yourself and everything you just talked about directly plugs into that. So, well, yeah, and one more thing to that, which is CEOs, believe it or not, even very successful ones, they get sometimes too internally focused, which ties mm. in, you know, don't get, don't get caught up in the day to day. 
you got to be externally focused. You got to be talking to customers. You got to be talking to prospects. You got to be going to either conferences or think tank conversations or other CEOs getting together, talking about the industry or the sector of the future. Um, you know, talk to the marketplace, you know, spend time in the marketplace. That's a huge problem, not just CEOs, but many entrepreneurs is they get too tunnel vision and they're on an island and they're too internally focused. Yeah, man, that's a hard hitter right there for sure. Because at some point in time, all of us have been guilty about it, guilty yep. of doing that. Yep. And that comes out to hugging the bear because it's yours, right? So <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> well, you know, so I hope all of you out there in the audience listen, listening got some really key takeaways from, uh, you know, what Chuck talked about there. And much of that is very important to the success of where you're going in your business today. So, um, Chuck, how do people get in contact with you to, you know, experience the things that you have going on right now? Sure. I appreciate that. Um, best way to reach me is just email me directly. It's chuck.moller, M-O-L-L-O-R at mcgpartners.com. You can always look me up on LinkedIn as well, uh, Chuck Moller. I also have my own website uh, where I usually promote the book. Um, and we obviously have our own business website, which is mcgpartners.com. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk about the book just a little bit. Um, sure. Let's talk about that book a little bit and, right. and where they can find the book too. Yeah, um, the book's pretty much anywhere um, online that you would buy a book from. Um, probably the, the the most common place people buy it would be Amazon. Again, it's called The Rise of the Agile Leader. Uh, can you make the shift? Um, I, I wrote it to do, try to address two things, which is what's the future of leadership, which has been here for the last three years, by the way. Um, and then also to provide people a very practical roadmap on how to get to the next level. So I don't care where you are in your career, what industry you are in. Uh, what level you are, it's about providing you some practical tools and strategies and methodologies uh, to get to the next level. Awesome. Meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. That's key, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not where you want them to be, <laughs> where they are today. So awesome. Well, kind of the, the million dollar drum roll here, right? To kind of end the show here. And, and just to kind of get into the psyche a little bit of how you think, right, is if you could have invited anybody to the show today, dead or alive, any point in time, you know, to be here and participate, talk, or just listen in, who, who would have you loved to have here today and why them? Man, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I would say uh, I give you an a, an a and B an answer. One okay. would be my younger self. So I could actually have learned a little easier <laughs> yeah. and then be just on a purely emotional, because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, uh, someone who transformed the world, you know, earlier in our, in our life, you know, in, so in our history would be a really cool answer. But I would say my father, because I, you know, I didn't get to know my father. My father died when I was two and a half. So mm. it would have been pretty cool to have my dad in on and, and see what I turned into. So that's how it would answer. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great answer actually. Um, and yeah, it, it, you know, I grew up with my father, so I, I got to experience all those things. And my family was very entrepreneurial. So 
my dad was a farmer and my mom owned two or three businesses in town. So I got that whole entrepreneurial experience of things. And, you know, so I feel very blessed in that way. My parents are both still alive and, and doing well and thriving. And so, you know, we have to make sure we don't like take those things for granted and, you know, not things just in business, but in our personal life too. That's for sure. So anyway, a lot of lessons got dropped here. A lot of gold nuggets got dropped on this, this podcast today. I hope you all caught them. If you only caught one hit rewind and listen again, um, cause there's a whole bunch of them there. Go grab a copy of the book. I assure you I will. Um, just because I'm curious and want to uh, read the book. I love to read books and write them, obviously. But um, I love good books and the title sounds really intriguing. So thank you, Chuck, for being on uh, the War Room today. Really appreciate you taking the time. We all have the same 168 every week. And thanks for you know taking 40 out of your day to be here with me to share your valuable tools and tips. Hey, great conversation, Jason. Thanks for having me on board. And hopefully your, your audience will get something out of today. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for listening to War Room Moments with your host, Jason Miller. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.